All right, so today we're starting our series. It's called the Mythbuster series. Anybody watch that show, Mythbusters? Nobody watches the show? <laughs> I watch it. I think it's a great show. It's an awesome show. But uh, uh, the Mythbusters show is basically they take myths and they try to explore those myths and debunk them or prove that they're actually true. And so we're going to do that in our, a little bit in our series. Uh, in the next four weeks, we're going to take some myths uh, and we're going to kind of explore them a little bit and look at them and see if maybe we can debunk them or see what God has to say about them. So today we're going to look at the question of, is there life after death? Is death the end? Now, I think that's a question that every human being asks at one time or another in their life. If our modern culture is any indication, it's a question that we ask a whole lot. Um, did you know that last year that there were over 40 TV shows on TV, 40 shows that deal with the paranormal, the afterlife. Y'all, you seen any of shows, Ghost Hunters, any of that stuff? All, there's over 40 shows last year. Compare that to 10 years ago when there were only 10 shows. That's a significant increase in people's interest. From Long Island Medium, y'all, you see that, Long Island Medium? That's a really popular show now. Uh, to Ghost Hunters, people are looking for answers to what happens after this life. They want to know what happens after this life. So we're going to try to answer that today. So is death the end? What happens to us after we die? I mean, do we just cease to exist? Or is there something else? Is there some other existence? One thing is for sure is that death is inevitable. You can't avoid that. Current statistics, excuse me, current statistics say that approximately 56 million people die every year. And if you do the math, that works out to about two people every second. So every second, two people die somewhere in the world. But yet as a culture, we're a little bit bizarre when it comes to death because we try everything to prevent the inevitable. A recent study found that Americans spend, get this, $44 billion, $44 billion on anti-aging products uh, in one year. So we spend $44 billion to prevent aging. That includes everything from drugs that slow down the aging process to products that enhance our appearance and make us look younger. I mean, people will do anything to avoid growing old and dying. For about $150,000, you can have your body uh, frozen with the hopes that sometime in the future, when medical science catches up, they'll be able to thaw you out and bring you back to life. Now, if you can't afford that, okay, because uh, listen, oh, there's over a thousand people that have signed up for this. Ted Williams included. Ted Williams did. And if you can't afford the $150,000, I looked on their website. Their website's running a special, and they can cut your head off, and they'll freeze your head for $50,000. But you have to act today. You have to do it today to get that deal, okay? So no matter how much we try to avoid it or prolong thinking about it, death will eventually find each and every one of us. There's this story of these three guys who were contemplating their death one day, and one of them asks, what would, you like to pe what would you like people to say at your funeral? And the first guy says, I'd like them to say he was a great humanitarian who cared about his community. The next guy says, I think I'd like them to say that he was a great husband and father who was a good example to follow. And they all nodded in agreement, and then they looked at the third guy who'd been silent. 
And without hesitation, he said, I'd like for them to say, look, he's moving. (laughs) I thought that was funny. (laughs) As much as we might like to, we're not going to live forever. So the question is, is death the end? That's the myth that we're going to explore today. So how can we explore the other side? How will we know without a shadow of a doubt what happens after you die? Well, I think the best way to do that is if we had an eyewitness account of somebody who's been to the other side. So we're going to look at this myth in three different ways today. The first way is we're going to look at talking to those who have already passed on. All right? So communicating with the dead. This is what the Long Island medium does. She communicates with those who have passed on. Now, the question is, can you really communicate with the dead? There's one instance actually in the Bible where a living person did talk to a dead person, and it's in 1 Samuel. I want to show you that story. Now, the context of this story is that King Saul and the Israelite army, they were encamped across the Philistine army, and then Saul sees the Philistine army, he's terrified. He's terrified because he, he, he knows his end is close. And so in his terror, he tries to consult God, but God doesn't answer him because Saul had rejected God and refused to follow all of God's instructions. So in desperation, he seeks out a medium from Endor. And no, it's not a place inhabited by Ewoks. It's a real place, Endor. So let me pick up the story in verse 11. It says, Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming out out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew it was Samuel and he bowed his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So this must prove that we can communicate with the dead, right? Because it's in the Bible, right? Well, see, I'm not so sure about that. Because, for one, if you look back, the medium was very surprised to see Saul when he came up. As a matter of fact, she cried out with a loud voice. And some scholars interpret that that word to be that she cried out in terror. She was afraid because she saw an actual spirit. So I don't think she was expecting to see a dead spirit. Second, Samuel didn't speak through the medium. He spoke directly to Saul, not through her. And that's what a medium does. The spirits speak through them. So I think it was something that God actually did. I think God actually allowed Samuel to talk to Saul because attempting to talk to the dead was consistently condemned by God. In Deuteronomy 18, it says this. It says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritualist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. See, I think that since Saul had turned away from God to the point that he was seeking out the dead, God allowed Samuel to show him his final destruction, to show him his ultimate sin, and tell him about his impending destruction. I think there's a reason that God strongly objects to those who seek to speak to the dead. One reason is that God is the source of wisdom. 
God is the only source of wisdom and truth. And his desire is for us to seek him out and to follow his path. Second, I just don't think there's any way for the living to talk to the dead. You guys know who Harry Houdini is? Everybody know him? Harry Houdini was an escape artist back in the 1930s. And he spent years trying to communicate with his dead mother. He spent so much time trying to communicate that he eventually became a psychic debunker. And he exposed those people who preyed upon grieving families. And he never, ever achieved his goal with communicating to the other side. In fact, prior to his death, Houdini made a secret pact with his wife. They made a 10-word code that each of them, only them, knew. 10-word code that both of them knew. And they made a pact that if one of them died, they would attempt to try to communicate with each other. And if that person and that medium knew the code, could say the code, then that would be proof that they were able to communicate with the other side. And then when Harry Houdini died, his wife spent 10 years and put up a $10,000 reward for anyone, for any psychic or medium who could communicate with Harry. And she visited psychics from around the world, all over the world, in an attempt to communicate with them. Not one single one could produce the secret code. Not one of them. Almost all of them claimed to have communicated with Houdini himself on the other side, but nobody could give her the code. Today we have a guy named James Randi who's a, magi- a magician and an escape artist. And in 1996, he put up a million dollars, a million dollars for anybody who could prove they had psychic ability. And hundreds of people have tried, but no one has yet to claim that million dollars. See, I just don't think psychics or mediums are reliable. I mean, if you actually look at what they do, they talk in generalities. And they often offer people false hope. And eventually, they get debunked. You guys remember James Edwards from Crossing Over about six or seven years ago? He was really big. He was huge on TV, mainstream. Well, ABC did a a story on him and found out that he was false, that he was making everything up. And Long Island Medium, even though she is a top-rated show, she is. She's at the top. I think she's wrong. I think she's false. And eventually, they're going to find out that she's false. So I think we can say that communicating with the dead is not a reliable way to know what's on the other side. So let's look at a different way. Let's look at near-death experiences. A near-death experience happens when somebody is pronounced clinically dead, meaning that their heart stops beating and they quit breathing. But then they are revived back to life. It's estimated that over 8 million Americans have had a near-death experience. And the majority of their stories have similar elements in them. It usually consists of a sense of being dead, and then they'd be floating over their body and see the surrounding area, and then there'd be this tunnel of bright light. And most people say that they see their relatives that have died before them and a being of light. Then when they know that they have to return to their body, they do so very reluctantly because of the warmth they feel in the place that they're at. Others give even more detailed accounts. For instance, in her book called Embraced by Light, Betty Eady describes meeting Jesus in her near-death experience. And in her meeting with Jesus, she describes Jesus as being this benevolent being of light. And Jesus says to her, there's no reason to regret past deeds because we as humans, we're not sinful creatures. In fact, we're spirit beings and that we assisted God in creation. 
Another story tells of a woman who met Jesus, and Jesus told her that all the religions of the world were just different paths to the same God, that they all end up in the same destination, that we were like spokes in a wheel, and heaven is the hub. So what are we to make of these experiences? I mean, are all these people making it up? All eight million of them? I mean, there is some scientific evidence that suggests during those times of near-death experiences that the brain is receiving faulty information because of drugs, trauma, or oxygen deprivation. And it's also kind of creating this false reality in order to interpret what's actually going on. Test pilots that undergo those uh, G-force training routinely report very similar experiences to those who have near-death experiences when they black out from the intensive G-forces that pushes blood away from their brain. Scientists have also found out that ketamine, a drug used for anesthesia, creates sensations that are almost identical to near-death experiences. But I don't think science can completely answer the question for us. Because for every near-death experience science can explain, there are five more that it can't explain. So what can we say is going on in these near-death experiences? Especially for those people who see and talk to Jesus. Well, I have a couple of ideas. First, I think it can explain what does happen when we die. That there is actually a separation of the soul from our body. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. He talks about leaving our earthly bodies in exchange for an eternal one. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. And then later on in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually describes a near-death experience he has when he was nearly stoned to death. And in chapter 12, it says this, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding that they can't be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. So there is some indication that when you die that you will leave your body and you will be ushered into the presence of Christ. But what about people like Betty? People that say that Jesus talked to her and told her that all religions, all paths lead to God. What about people like her? Because the Jesus that she talks about doesn't match up to the Jesus that I know in the Bible. I mean, why would Jesus tell us while we're here on this earth that he's the only way to heaven? Because in John 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. But then after we die, he goes, no, I was just joking. I didn't mean all that stuff. I was just fooling with you. I got you, right? Why would Jesus do that? I mean, it just doesn't add up to me. So who does Betty and those other people, who are they talking to? Well, I think I have an answer. Who would be the one person to gain from telling the world that everything is going to be okay in the end? That there is no punishment for sin. And that whatever path you choose will be the right one. See, I think it's Satan. I do. I think it's Satan and his demons. I mean, isn't it possible to believe that if angels 
await those of us who believe in Christ, that demons await those who don't? Last year, Barna's group did a study, and they found that 57% of adults do not think that Satan is even real. And even more astonishing, 46% of born-again Christians do not think that Satan is real. Why is it so easy for us to believe in angels, but not demons? I think it's because it's Satan's biggest lie. I think it's his best lie. If he can convince people that there is nothing to fear, that he's not real, then he wins. I think he wins. So I think he does his best to continue that masquerade. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, but I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. See, I think demons explain a lot of things. I think all of these ghost shows, most of them are fake, and a lot of them, if you actually do any research, will show that most of these ghost shows are fake. They, they dramatize the show. What is, cause here's the thing about TV. I try to explain this to my son. Here's the thing about TV. TV is meant to get ratings. TV is meant to sell products. So they're going to have a show that, of course, shows ghosts because they want the ratings. But I think demons explain those things that can't be explained. I think that ghosts, the things that people see or sense, I think they're the ones, those demons are the ones that make those things happen. I think they're the ones that supply psychics and fortune tellers with little bits of information. I think they do everything they can to deceive us and to fool us into thinking that everything is okay, to confuse us and distract us from focusing on the one thing they don't want us to see, and that's God. See, Satan and his crew, they want to offer us security and hope. And they do. They offer security and hope. But it's a false security, and it's a false hope. See, I think that's why God warns us over and over again about demons. Look at Isaiah 8. Look at what Isaiah says. It says, Someone may say to you, let us ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings. They will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. So we have to be very careful about the kind of information that we receive from those who have near-death experiences or those who supposedly talk to the dead, God should be the only place that we look for answers because he's the source of all truth. For me, I want an eyewitness account of somebody who just didn't have a near-death experience, but somebody who actually died, stayed dead for more than a few minutes, and then came back to tell about it. See, there's a story about this guy who was beaten really bad, and he lost a lot of blood. And when he died, they actually stuck him in the side with a sharp sword to make sure that he was dead. And then they buried him. And about two days later, he came back to life. And he was fully coherent. And over 500 people witnessed it and can testify to it. And that was Jesus Christ. 
So for me, I want to know what he has to say about life after death. Because as far as I know, he's the only person to have died and continues to live to tell about it. So let's look at a story that Jesus talks about. Jesus tells a parable about two guys, and it's in Luke chapter 16. It starts in verse 19. And Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come out and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames." But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers And I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen, even if someone rises from the dead. So what can we understand about this Life after death story that Jesus tells. Well, there's a whole bunch in here, and then we don't have time to go into all of it, but I want to go into just a couple of things for you. The first thing I want you to see from this story is that we are definitely conscious of our surroundings and our past life after we die. Memories, speech, the ability to feel pain or comfort are all a part of the experience. See, the rich man was in torment, and he felt pain, and was seeking relief from it. But Lazarus on the other side was being comforted. I mean, the rich man said, Give, have pity, send Lazarus over, because I'm in anguish in these flames. We also have our memories. Later on in the story, the rich man worries about his five brothers. And he says, Abraham, please send him to my father's home and warn my five brothers. So you can be assured that when you die, you will be able to remember your life here on this earth. And your memories of those you knew and the things that you did will stay intact. You will also be aware of your surroundings and you'll be able to feel torment or bliss depending on which side you end up. And that brings the second point I want to talk about from this story. There are definitely two possible destinations for us after we die. It's, one of them is a place of torment and despair. And that's where the rich man ended up. The other place is where Lazarus goes a place of peace and comfort. So how did each of them end up in their destinations? Well, it wasn't because Lazarus was poor and the other guy was rich. Jesus was telling this story to a group of Pharisees who were rich, and he was trying to get them to see that their trust and wealth would not do them any good. See, the Bible is very clear about what determines your destination after death. 
In John 5, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that that same life-giving power to his Son, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man." See, it is only our faith in Christ that will assure our destination of eternal life with him. Nothing else. We can't earn salvation. We can't be good enough or do enough good things. It's not a balance of the bad we do versus the good we do. It's simply trusting in Jesus. And that choice of following Christ has to happen in this life. In this life, you cannot change your destination once you've died. Look back at verse 26. There's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Death is permanent. There are no do-overs. There was an item printed in the Newsweek magazine a few years ago. It was a letter from the Greenville County, South Carolina Department of Social Services. And the letter was written to a person who had had died. And it said this, To whom it may concern, your food stamps will be stopped effective immediately because we have received notice that you passed away. You may reapply if there is a change in your circumstances. That's funny. But the truth is, the fact is, when death comes, there is no change in circumstances. It's irreversible. See, when you cross over... There is no coming back. We only have one life on this earth to get it right. And it's only while we're alive on this earth that we can prepare for our final place. Because once we die, that destination is locked in, your ticket's been bought, and it can't be changed. Now, sometimes we feel like we have all the time in the world, especially when we're younger. We rarely contemplate what will happen when we die. And when we do, it's usually because someone close to us has passed away. But soon enough, the busyness of life gets in the way and those thoughts fade. But the truth is, we don't have all that much time. I mean, take a look at your life. Just look back at the past few years of your life and how fast has it gone. It sure has for me. I can't believe I have a 12-year-old son now. I just can't. Twelve years is gone in a blink of an eye. See, life is short. And today is the only day that we have. There is no guarantee for tomorrow. Today is the day that we need to make choices to prepare for our final destination. Because death isn't the end. It isn't. It is not the end. But how we live our lives and the choices we make in this life determine what happens in the next. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they come up, I have one question for you. And that is, what assurance do you have for the next life? Do you know where your destination is? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt 
If you die today, you know that you will be ushered into the presence of Christ. Do you know that? If you don't, do not leave here today without having that assurance. Because you can't have it. It's not hard. It's easy to do. You don't have to do any special ritual. You don't have to take any special class. You simply have to acknowledge that you need Jesus to take care of the sin in your life. And you need to start living for him every single day. See, Jesus died for us. He took our place. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could have eternal life. And he offers that gift freely to anyone who wants to accept it. But we have to humble ourselves and admit that we need him and take that gift that Jesus offers for us. If you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you need to do that today. You can do it in your seat. You don't have to come up here and kneel. You can do it right where you are. All you've got to do is pray to him and say, God, please forgive me of everything that I've done. Jesus, I accept your gift of salvation. And then you start living for him every single day. And if you make that decision, don't do it alone. Let us help you on the journey. I'm going to be up here after the service. And if you have any questions, because I don't want anybody to leave without knowing where they're going to end up. I, I think that's a horrible way to live, to go through life and worry about what's going to happen to you after you die. So I'm going to be up here after the service. And if you have questions, come and talk to me. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, come talk to me. Because I want to help you on that journey. And I want to give you the assurance that I have and that, and that all the other pastors have and that all the other followers of Christ have, that assurance that we have that death is not the end, that there is an amazing life waiting for us on the other side. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you have provided a way for us to have eternal life. Thank you for the amazing sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, that he took our place. He took our punishment so that we could live. Father, I pray that every person would leave here today with that assurance in their heart. God, I pray that your spirit is heavy upon them now. Help them make the decision to choose you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.